Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. When I was growing up, I can remember around sixth grade is when they split us up between the boys and the girls and we had the talk at school. And that was about the time also that we figured at home we needed to have the talk with our kids as well. I can remember also that when I had, when I was given the talk at school, all I could think of was, ew, because it was, it was all scientific. It was, you know, this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. And uh, it didn't sound like a very good deal to me. Um, and then when my mom explained it, she explained it differently. It was all about relationship and, and love and this and that. And, and, and the question was, well, which is true? Which one is true? And then as I grew up a little bit more, I began to understand that really that wasn't, uh, that really wasn't the question because they were both true. I think that asking the question, is it true about anything, really, any stories in the Bible, is really not the question. Uh, The question really is, how does this story reveal God to us? How do we get to know God better by this story or by this image? And so as we come to the story in, in Genesis this morning, these few verses, keep in mind that 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 is it true really has no application to the scriptures. It was never even in the thought of writers or, or the editors or those looking back about truth. It was more about how does this reveal God? We come to Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God... Those few words really are the whole story in a nutshell. That's what all of Genesis is about. That's what most of the Bible is about. God is the subject of life. God is the foundation for living. And if you don't have that sense of primacy of God, then we'll never get it right. We'll never get life right. We'll never get our lives right if we don't understand that. Not God at the margins, not God as an option, not God on the weekends, but God at the center and God is the circumference. It's all God, God, God. And so Genesis puts us on the right foot for this. It pulls us into a sense of reality that is filled with God and shaped by God. It gives us a vocabulary and a stories for speaking about relationships with people accurately and comprehensively about our whole lives where we come from and where we're going and what we think and what we do and the people we live with and how to get along with them and what happens when you don't get along with them. 
the troubles we find ourselves in, and also the blessings that just keep arriving. In this text, here's, the, here, here's a key, and I want you to hold on to this key through this whole sermon. It's, we see that God and God's creation are bound together in a distinctive and delicate way. This is the presupposition for everything that follows in the Bible. That God created all things and that God is connected to all things. It's the deepest premise from which the good news is possible. God and God's creation are bound together by the powerful and graceful, grace-filled movement of God towards creation. Always towards creation. God always moves towards us, never away. The binding which is established by God, though, is inscrutable. It's not... It can't be explained. It can't be analyzed. Although we try, we try to explain away and analyze what that relationship is all about. But in the long, in the long run, it can only be affirmed and it can only be confessed that God is the creator and we are the creatures to the creator. The text announces the deepest mystery that still is unfathomable. And that mystery is that God wills and God will have a relationship with the earth. The text invites us as a listening community to celebrate that reality, to celebrate the fact that God has willed it to be so, that God will come to us in community. That's, it's the most incredible and most inviting, invitational, hospitable incredible event that can happen and Genesis lays it right out in the beginning, God. The binding also is irreversible. That's what's really wonderful about it. Although we always try to make it reversible. We try to say, there's a way back from this. There's a way that we can lose this. Even though one of the songs that we sang from Romans You know, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. No principalities, not height, nor depth. And we go all out. We're singing that and thinking it. But then we have this primeval, primitive belief that there's something that we can do that will break it down. That will break it. That will somehow be separated from God. God has decided to have a relationship with all of creation. And the connection cannot be nullified. It's just like, for example, it's like a a child is born. And whether they're born into a family where the parents keep them or give them away, whether they're born into a family where the parents are cruel or kind, whether they're born into a family where they never meet again, there's nothing, nothing that can change the DNA of that child. So if that DNA was matched with any DNA, it, wouldn't, it would be only matched with that parent. There's nothing that you can do to nullify the fact that that child was created by this, these two persons. So the DNA. So God has created us to have God's DNA. 
And nothing we can do can change that. But on the other hand, Genesis also, in, in great wonder and wisdom, never presents all of these understandings to us in a way that's bloodless or just in theory or principle. But what we're given are tangible images of creation with which to wrap our minds around this infinite, incredible story. We're given stories about people who were flawed, people who were... Uh, uh, people who lived and people who died and people who worked and struggled and were at their worst and were at their best. People a lot like us. So Genesis is, is so important in laying the groundwork for what the Jews considered the real story of God. Most of us know the importance of context. For example, the phrase, see you later, can mean one thing if you say it in an offhand way when you leave the office at night. But it can mean something quite different if you say it at the bedside of a dying friend. It gains importance. And it can create a, a very, very different context. The opening words of Scripture in the beginning are so familiar to us that we don't even pause to think about the context before beginning our uh, creating a belief system around the words. So it's important quite often to step back. Why is context important? Because oftentimes it can illuminate, it can deepen a particular scripture, and it can enlighten us as to the meaning and the, the broader meaning. We, it's a, it's, it has application that goes far beyond just that first understanding. This is especially true of this particular passage, this first words of Genesis. And though these verses appear at the very front of Scripture, as we all know, we open our Bible, and those are the first few words, we absolutely know that the story didn't begin there. The story didn't begin there because this, this is a story written many years later by people who are remembering back. So it's a memory of a memory of a memory. It's important to remember that it's not where the original story began. The original story began with a people who now remember the story that their ancestors told them. And the story began by the banks of some other waters, waters that were formless and void, in the, a land, and this land was Egypt. By the banks of the Nile, where these desert nomads found themselves crying under hard labor as slaves. It's the kind of wondrous work they experienced in the birth waters of the Red Sea. And those two events are the template within which they imagine the wondrous works of the Lord before the ordered world began as they had first imagined and first experienced the Spirit of God bringing order out of chaos in Egypt. So they now testified to the similar work of the Spirit in the beginning. This is God who may occasionally create something out of nothing, but most of the time prefers to rework tangible chaos into something really good. The Exodus story is the main story 
of creation for the Jews. Why? Because it is the story in which God heard them. God spoke them into being. God led them into freedom. God redeems them and established an unbreakable relationship with them. And in this wonderful context, these Genesis texts are the poetry of people who have lived as outsiders and slaves. They've lived as refugees, as marginalized and uh, hated population. And people who have borne witness to a God who keeps promises and delivers and is steadfast and written in a time when they were in exile and they were forgetting who they belonged to and where they came from. These stories and these texts remind them of who they belong to. The story of creation is a framing narrative and it shows the dependence of all creation, of everything that exists, all things on God. Everything. And yet, even in the midst of showing how dependent we are on God, how dependent we are on this creator God, there is something in this magisterial uh, story, creation that exalts humankind in the most unfathomable way. Its movement is towards us. There's a creation that moves from the cosmic to the mundane, and, and becomes more beautiful and various as it moves on. You can see, even in the first few verses, as it moves from the creation of, of light and the creation of land and then the creation of animals, and then it moves on and it's more, it, 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 it's a culminating. It steps forward into something bigger and more beautiful. And by the time it gets around to creating humankind, on the sixth day, believe it or not, we are presented as the crowning art that God has worked. Us, human beings, we're the culmination and fulfillment of, of all of God's work. That, that's rather surprising. Since even in the original stories, we're the ones who turns our back and rejects God. And yet we are the crowning work of God. We have a, but a small but final fulfillment of all that God is creating is found in us. Today uh, it is a day that we recognize as a day to celebrate the baptism of the Lord. It's the, it's the day that ends the, the Christmas season, so to speak. And now we walk slowly into Lent. So it's a baptism day. And it may seem strange to preach about Genesis on a day when we were talking about baptism. But it's only strange if you see these things as totally separate stories. It's only strange if you don't understand that these are, this is a story about a God that keeps promises, not just over a day, a decade, or a thousand years. But this is a God who keeps promises over all eternity, always with us, with our DNA firmly in place. 
If you can't perceive creation as a dynamic and ongoing event rather than a solitary single event, then it may not make any sense to preach about Genesis on a day we celebrate baptism. But think of it this way. Just as the Exodus is the genesis of the Jewish people, so baptism is our genesis. In baptism, just as in creation, God assures us that we are not too small to notice, that we, in fact, matter immensely. That's what we're reminded of in baptism. And the beginning is all water, if you notice, watery deep and dark and formless. And God calls for light to illuminate this waste, and Jesus comes as the light of the world. In our own baptism, we're asked to submit to the primordial waters from the very beginning and have a figurative death with our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Creator calls us by name, just as all were named in the very beginning. When Jesus is baptized, he has a significant connection to the deep waters of creation. In Genesis, God sees that the light on the face of the water is good and declares that humankind is good. And this is much the same way that when Jesus comes to be baptized, the heavens open up and God declares, this is good. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So Genesis and baptism go hand in hand. They mirror each other. They lean and sway towards each other to remind us that this unchanging God continues to work and create. In baptism, Jesus has a heaven-opening event. And he does what God did in the beginning. He reopens the world. The world had shut down, had closed down, had separated, and Jesus reopens the world And Jesus demonstrates for us that God doesn't work impersonally from space, but rather God works with us where we are, as we are. No matter what we do, whether we're good or bad, we continue to be part of everything that God is doing. Nobody can drop out. There's no place to drop out to because how do you drop out of your DNA? You can live as though it doesn't exist, but it does. And you will always feel that DNA running through your blood, and you will always feel that missing, because there is a knowing. Create is not confined to what the Spirit did, but it's what the Spirit does, and it's what the Spirit is doing now, even now in your life. This same Creator... This same spirit that hovered over those waters, hovered over your baptism, and fills you now with that same spirit that filled Christ when the spirit came like a dove from the sky. This same spirit that continues to move and continues to create, 
You know, the Genesis story is not really interested at all in telling us how the world was created. It was never meant to answer any questions like that. What it's mostly interested in is that God is the originator of all things. That we have this delicate and beautiful but unbreakable bond with our creator. It's telling us that the spirit of God is still creating. Now that's the incredible good news. That that's part of the transformation that each of us have the opportunity to be part of. The transformation of a spirit that continues to create in us, continues to call us forward, continues to compel us, continues to love us, continues to to mine inside of us the very, very best of what God has to offer. And so, in the beginning, God. Anytime you feel discouraged, anytime you feel despair, anytime you feel like you're not going to make it because you're not able to do what you're supposed to do, I want you to remember, in the beginning, God. It's not up to you to do your whole life. God created us. God lives within us. God compels us. God loves us. Let's go to God in prayer. God of the past and present and future, God of the skies and the lands, of the faraway galaxies and the unknown stars and planets, God of the deepest recesses of each of our hearts and minds and souls. You are our creator, God, and so we come and lay ourselves out before you. You are our creator, and so we simply are in your presence. My friends, I invite you to just be still for a moment and lift up your gratitude and thanksgiving to this creator God that loves you so very much.